Hey, film fans, get ready for another animated science fiction adventure that totally bombed at the box office. This week, we're going to talk about Space Kangaroos, John Leguizamo's worst movie he's ever made, and the one, the only, Matt Damon. I'm Troy Sauer. Brad Anderson. And this is Zoe from the Backlick Cinema Podcast with Zach and Zoe. And this is not a bomb. folks welcome to a brand new episode if you're just catching us for the first time this is the show not a bomb podcast where we go back and look at the movies that bombed at the box office or the critics just totally trashed brad we are on number three of our little science fiction adventure yes we have it's been a bumpy road it well not totally i mean i think we're batting about 500 right yeah we had iron giant and then the Final Fantasy film. So yeah, we're we're one for two. Yeah, that's not bad. But I'm super excited for this week's show. So you and I are avid podcast listeners. And um I, I don't I we try and go out and look for new podcasts. I mean, we have, you know, our staples that we've listened to for many years. But part of this, you know, fun of this hobby is running across things that um, you know, there there's thousands and thousands of movie podcasts, but What's cool is finding a podcast that sort of takes a different light on the traditional movie review podcast or pop culture podcast. And there was one that I came across a couple of months ago, and it kind of blew me away because I like anything that sort of highlights the father-son relationship. And there was this podcast that was recommended, and I, I listened to an episode. And not only were they talking about movies that I loved – but I loved the whole concept of a dad kind of showing the films to his son and getting his reaction to them. And so I reached out uh, to this podcast, told him, just totally loved the episode, and begged and begged and begged for them to come on the show. So I am super, super excited to have Zoe from the Backlook Cinema Podcast join us to talk about our movie this week. Zoe, how are you doing? I'm doing spectacular. Can, can you give us just a little bit of history of how the Backlook Cinema podcast kind of came to light? Because I, I love this concept. I mean, I'm, I'm a father. Brad's a father. We love introducing our kids to films. But Dadcast 2.0. Dadcast 2.0. <laughs> but I, I'm just curious, like, how did this all start for you? Well, uh, like many podcasts, this started during the pandemic. But it was a little bit different because I was actually working. So it's not like I was sitting around house not having anything to do. So uh, one of the other podcasts that I listened to, it had uh, one of the co-hosts is, uh, his name is um, Mark Bernardin. So he is on Fat Man Beyond podcast. You may have heard of that. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know if it was on the show or if it was on Twitter or something, but he was doing different things with his son because like a lot of people, he wasn't working. So one of the things he did with his son is that he watched movies with his son, uh, you know, while he was growing up. 
And his son has never seen these movies before. So I thought that was a great bonding experience. So I tried it with my own son. Now, my son is a little bit older than Mark Bernardin's son. My son is uh, 24, going on 25. But still, he's never seen these movies before. And uh, so I, you know, I tested out the, the thing with uh, Highlander. That was the first film we watched together. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, right? Because it's like, it's, it, admittedly, it's not as good as I remember. Because I am fully in love with Highlander. I watch anything Highlander related. But when I, when I went back and watched this movie, and I think it was your podcast or another podcast where I found out that some of the scenes were extra. Like they were like a, an, a European version. Yes. And now all versions of Highlander are European versions. Like, I did not know that because I did not remember the backflips. But anyway. Yeah. Oh, that, was, that so part was terrible, I, man. <laughs> right, right. So I watched it and I remembered that it wasn't as good as it used to be, but he liked it. So I was like, okay, well, this is a pretty good concept. So we went on a couple of weeks. We watched a couple of more movies. Another movie we watched was uh, Total Recall. And oh, uh, he yeah. really enjoyed that movie. And we got... And it's like, when you watch a movie that really jazzed you up, the first thing you want to do is you just want to talk about it, you know? And uh, I remember doing that with my brothers and my cousins when we were growing up. So I'm doing that with my son. And I was like, you know what? This would make a great podcast. And he was like, no. So oh, he was, he was not on board for doing it? He was not, all, he was not at all oh. uh, enthusiastic about doing a podcast. No, he resisted for a while. I, I went all the way to doing a PowerPoint presentation. I was like, come on now, we can do this. <laughs> and then uh, I finally bought some arm mics. It's like I was doubtful myself. And I went to, uh, you've seen FYE at, at Rundle Mills, right? Yeah. yeah. So I went, right. So I went in there. It's one of my favorite stores. And I just so happened to see an arm mic. And they were only like $10. So I bought two arm mics. Well, not the mics, but the arm mm -hmm. that holds the microphone. And I was like, okay, I'm buying this. We're doing this now. We're doing this. <laughs> and I, so that was basically me buying those arm uh, mic holders was the beginning and then I bought the rest of the stuff. And uh, and then he grudgingly on board with it. And then uh, we did our first podcast on uh, Rambo. What's it called? Yeah, Rambo, First Blood Part 2. That was our first episode. And uh, he enjoyed that movie. We enjoyed talking about it. And, and we've been rolling since then. It, We're 42 episodes in now. It's such a fun show. And what I like about it is it, it just reminds me of the conversations I'm having with my daughter or son, as soon as we watch a film and it's, what'd you think, what'd you think about this? What was your favorite part? But you, you guys have amazing chemistry. So one of the things that we do for- One might say father-son chemistry. Yes, it's really good. <laughs> well, the good kind anyway. Yeah. Yes, yeah. the very good kind. Um, we usually, when we bring somebody on the show, we kind of prepare five questions for them and they're surprise questions. They're, they're tailored to you, but we use some of the standard ones. And we use this as a time for anybody who may not have discovered your podcast yet to kind of get to know you and, and get your film taste and everything. So we're going to hit you with some questions. You have not seen these questions, so I know you're not prepared, but uh, I'm going to start. This this one is super easy. So what's your favorite movie of all time? Uh, well, my automatic answer is Star Wars. So I, even though it's not the original Star Wars before it was called Episode Four, A New Hope, right. uh, that's that's my favorite movie. So, uh, and I have a hard time answering my favorite such and such questions because it, everything is in flux. Like it, there's always a new thing or I discover something new or there's something that I've forgotten in the past that I may have liked better about other items or subjects. But when it comes to movies, I would have to say that is my favorite movie, even though I know it's not the best movie. Technically, The Empire Strikes Back is better than Star Wars, but Star Wars is definitely my favorite. 
<sighs> wow, we could debate that one because I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Every time I watch Empire Strikes Back, I'm like, yep, this is the best one. But when I go back and watch the original one, I'm like, well, I don't know. This one is so good, but uh, man, that's a great, that's a great answer. I don't know. Brad, right. I, I had a tr troubled history with Star Wars. It wasn't easy for me to see, to see when it first came out. I was like around six or seven years old and uh, we used to spend our summers in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. like, no one was willing to drive the 40 miles to take a seven-year-old to see a movie, right? So I never actually got to see it. <laughs> I didn't see the, I didn't see it in theaters until they released like the new cuts in uh I guess 2000 or 2004, whenever oh, that happened. Oh, with the new special effects and everything? Right, 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 okay. right. So we're, did you come across it just in home media, like VHS and stuff like that? I think I, think I it, like I said, trouble history. So the first time I actually got to, to experience most of the movie was at Christmas, my mom gave me a, the radio drama. It was like a heavily edited version of the radio drama where the original actors reprise their roles yeah. over radio drama. And I it was a, it that way. BBC did that. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah, right. And uh, that was awesome. So I, I basically got the whole movies through those two cassette. I think it was one cassette tape. I can't. Yeah, I think it was one cassette tape. And uh, I listened to it until basically the tape failed. And then later on, uh, so it. Uh, it's around when I was in elementary school, there was, I, I had a friend who was also an avid Star, Star Wars fan. And uh, somehow he got a copy of like a real to real version of Star Wars, except it had no audio. So I was able to watch the entire Star Wars movie without audio. And I absolutely loved it. <laughs> oh, that's passion right there. That, knows right, you, right, that right, is right. your that's favorite. Wow. Yeah. And, and uh, I think later on, I finally saw it on network television with commercials. Okay. Well, Brad, what's the next question? Wow. Okay. Um, what's one of your favorite movies that your son, Zach, doesn't like? Oh, that's a tough one. Because uh, I try not to expose him to movies that he wouldn't like. <laughs> I, I noticed that. Most most of the time, the films that you're you're picking out for your show, he's he either really likes or he kind of likes. I, I, right, right. I haven't run across an episode yet. Where, now, my favorite episode, and I think I told you this, is The Enter the Dragon simply because your story of coming out of that film and kicking your nephew. And I mean, everybody did that when they first experienced right. Enter the Dragon and your son's expression, like what, what is wrong with you? I mean, <laughs> right. that's, that's what I hear from my kids all the time, but right. I, have you shown him anything where you just kind of, I guess you guessed wrong and you're like, Oh, I think he's going to love this. And he came back absolutely, and he, he absolutely. was like, uh, what, what is wrong with you, dad? <laughs> I think the closest I've come like, I, cause I can't really answer correctly. What movie that I absolutely love that he totally hates, but the closest I've come is, um, romancing the stone. And that's where I totally guessed wrong. And that's because you know how, it's just like Highlander. You, you remember nostalgically how great that movie was. And still, Romancing the Stone is a great movie. But the problem is, it's way more romancing than I remember. It's much slower <laughs> than I remember. And I was like, because I like I felt like I was taking a big risk when I showed him The Hunt for the Red October because it's totally uh, suspense, right? And I'm right. really into suspense thrillers. I didn't know how I was going to take it, but he loved that movie. And uh, there was... Uh, and I showed him like hard drama, like a, a soldier story. And I wasn't sure how he was going to take that, but he really loved that. Yeah. So uh, with Romancing the Stone, in my imagination, I thought it was going to be like a high action adventure, something like, 
you know, any other action adventure film that I've shown him. But it's like, no, it's way slower. It's way more romance. And uh, it's not as funny as I thought it was going to be. I was like, who? I'm sorry. I, I guess wrong on this one. is. <laughs> so you, you didn't you didn't get to Jewel of the Nile then, obviously. No, no, no. And we're probably not going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so your last episode you did, and I'm in the middle of this one, um, you did Demolition Man. And you had some guests on the show. And right in the beginning, you guys are talking about uh, Japanimation. Um, I know uh, Zach is really big into to manga. And it, it, was, it was such a fascinating discussion just hearing everybody kind of talk about their favorites. And I, I guess it's perfect for you to come on a show that we're talking about science fiction animation. But I'm just curious, what, what are some of your favorite animated films just overall? Um. Oh, overall, so not just anime. Yeah, I, I, okay. I would I would encourage everybody. It, you know, Demolition Man is is out there right now. It's a great episode, and just right out of the gate, even before you get to the film, there's a really good discussion on Japan. I actually wrote some titles down, and Brad's usually my go to person. That's like, hey, go watch this. You're, you're gonna like this. But um, I'm just curious. Overall, animated films doesn't have to be science fiction or Japanimation, but um, you know, we're we're talking about Titan AE which has right. an interesting history to it. But what, what are some of your just favorite overall animated films? Oh, my goodness. I should have predicted this question <laughs> because I am, <laughs> I'm kind of drawing a blank right now uh, because I can think of uh, animated series, but I'm, I'm having a problem with drawing uh, animated movies. But well, Yeah, what are, what what are I, some of the best animated series? Because I, I, I think they're just as good as some of the films, especially nowadays. Right. Well, I just want to start off and uh, probably going to cut some flack for this, but, you know, I got to do it. It's Transformers the movie. I I, I got to <laughs> I love that movie. I will watch that movie over and over and over again. And I remember when that one came out, like, once again, could not see it when it first premiered in uh, in in the movie in the movie theaters. So I remember the advertisement. It was like they said it was so big, so exciting. You have to see it twice to take it all in. This was in the uh, the adverts or it was in the, the trailers. And one of the things they said in the trailers, will Optimus Prime die? And if so, who will lead the Autobots? But now you're telling me Optimus Prime is going to die. Now I have to see this movie. Yeah, so, it's yeah. some good marketing. <laughs> it's not even a great movie, uh, admittedly, <laughs> but I, I absolutely love that movie. Uh, and then some of the great series, um, you know, I grew up with like uh, the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner TV shows and uh, uh, a lot of those that came out during that time. Uh there is Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I'm going through that now again on Disney Plus because I love that one. And then there's the X-Men series that I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, I'm trying. Uh, well, like you had the Iron Giant on your show. So yeah. that was also a great uh, movie. So I, I love that one, too. A lot of the like Pixar and Disney animation that obviously I love all of those movies. So another one of my favorite movies, obviously, is going to be uh the one with the genie, Aladdin. See, oh, memory fails. Yes. But Ron Aladdin Williams. is like one of my favorites. The Lion King is one of my favorites. And Beauty and the Beast. Like most of the Disney movies that came out in the 90s, most of those are my favorite movies. Like if you go back too far, going back to the 60s or the, the early 70s when they had like Fantasia or Cinderella or uh, Sleeping Beauty, I, I I tried to do those. Can't do those. They're, they're way too slow and boring. I can't. It's hard. <laughs> it's too hard. Uh, but like when you it gets into the modern era, when you're talking about like the Shrek series or like Up, like those are like some. I, I, it'd be very difficult 
to choose a favorite amongst all of those. So I would just give you my standard answer of the Transformers. And uh, but then there's also like the the newer series that are coming out because I'm consuming so much new media that I forget about the old media that I watch. So I've just seen the first episode of um What If. Oh yeah, do you oh, like yeah. it? Yeah. From Marvel. Oh my God, that was awesome. I I to- I was totally in love with it. I didn't even really check out the what if comic, but I already knew what the gist of the comic was. But as far as the I, I like the way they blend it. It's a very good blend of computer animation and that yeah, it was shell slated type uh, animation that they did. I, I, I like this, the smooth motion that accompanied the animation. It, it was all very thrilling and it, was, it had a really good story with great parallels of the original Captain America movie. And then uh, there was uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars. I don't know if that counts as animation, but it's still yeah, a pretty, yeah. <laughs> still a, pretty uh, a pretty good series. Um then there was this uh, a series that I really liked that was on Netflix. It was a re redoing of Voltron, so they called it Voltron Legendary Adventures or Legendary Hero, Legendary Voltron Legendary something or other. But that was a great series. It, it had a start, middle, and the end. There was some part. There were some episodes that were pretty slow, but overall, it was an, an excellent interpretation of the original Voltron series, and I very much enjoyed that. I need to I need to check that out. I never got into Voltron, but every everybody talks Ooh. about that new series, and so that right. that might be my gateway drug to to that franchise. Right. Yeah, I enjoyed the original Voltron, but when I tried to go back and look at it, it was like really boring. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I loved this as a kid. <laughs> and it was my they had like several versions of Voltron in the U.S. We only got the Lion Voltron, which is what Legendary Adventures or Legendary Journeys or whatever. That what that's based on. It's based on the Lion Voltron. And then they also had the Vehicle Voltron, which also aired in the U.S. And we hated that because we said, man, they keep, they're just talking about peace, peace. We don't, we're not interested in peace. We want to see some conflict. <laughs> we watch, it's like a lot of people walking around and talking. Yeah. You want to see things <laughs> blow up. like that. Yeah. Right, right. We right. want to see, we want to see a Voltron transformation in every single episode. That's what we're here for. Exactly. And so it was, uh, the new version is very good version. All right. Then the next question is tough. I think you got, you got the next two, right, yeah. Brian? Okay. Yep. All right. Who is your favorite Ninja Turtle and why? Michelangelo, because I love nunchucks. Oh, that wasn't so hard. No, that's, <laughs> that's a perfect answer. And you're, and you're a party dude. I, I know that, right? You're a party it. dude. Actually, no, I'm not as much as a party dude as Michelangelo, but uh, I appreciate his enthusiasm. He's, he's positive. He's optimistic. It's like everything about his, like his personality is something that, that I love. I feel like I am like Michelangelo in his enthusiasm and his positive energy. And he generally just wants to be happy. It's sad to see him sad because if Michelangelo said, then, you know, things are truly Something dying, is wrong. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like podcasting with Troy. If a movie's bad, <laughs> if Troy thinks a movie's bad, then it must be really bad. So, okay, uh, okay. Last question: uh, What is your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend? Oh, that's so hard. That's so hard. Uh, the Last Dragon, I think that bomb. Uh, even Demolition Man. Uh, and so it's it's a it's a tie between those two. Um, I'm going to go with The Last Dragon. That's my favorite movie. That bomb that I would recommend to anyone. It's fantastic. It's it's a yep. near perfect movie for me. Right, I, right. I absolutely love that film. It's it's so eighties, but man, I I think when when that came out, 
it just floored me in terms of what you can do with the traditional martial arts film. And I can't remember who said this. It, it might've been you on your podcast because uh, I was listening to the episode, but it was sort of the perfect combination of like a martial arts movie in star Wars with the glow. And right. uh, I, I think that's how you described it. I'm like that, that is the perfect way to describe the last dragon. It's so much fun. Right. When you saw the original trailers or when I saw it, when I was growing up, uh, once again, another movie that I didn't get to experience in theaters. So I saw the trailers and then you see the glow in the trailer. They're fighting, they're using the glow. And I was like, oh my God, it's just like Star Wars. It's Kung Fu and Star Wars. I, this is my movie. It was made for me. I love Kung Fu. I love Star Wars. They, they've got, uh, and it, it also kind of expressed Black people's love for Kung Fu movies because it kind of melds together in that one film. And so I'm like, yeah, that's, I'm all about it. I need to see it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it didn't disappoint. And you cannot watch that movie and not smile. I'm right. always smiling during that film. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's a yearly watch for me. I love that thing so much. It's awesome. All right, Brad, what are we talking about tonight? That, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, we're part three in our, our journey into space here. And uh, this, this week was my pick, but... Um, Titan AE 2000. Had, had you seen this before, Brad? I had. I saw it in the theater. Um, again, if it released anywhere between 1999 and 2010, I saw it in the theater, most likely. Okay. How about you, Zoe? Is this this one you got to experience in the theater, or is this a first-time watch for you? I don't think I saw this in the theater. I think I saw it uh, from a blockbuster rental. I can't, I can't tell you for exactly certain. When does this movie come out again? 2000. 2000. Yeah, it's 21 years oh. old. 2000. Maybe I did see it in a theater. I, we I, had I survived Y2K, and then we got to see Titan. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably I might have seen this in a theater. This would have been a movie that I would have been attracted to, and I probably did see it in the theater. Yeah. I, before I, we get before we get into it, Troy, can we talk about the trailer? Can we yes. talk about the trailer, please? Yeah, let's go ahead, man. I mean, we're... Um, we're in the year 2000, 20th Century Fox is pushing their new sci-fi animated film, and they put out a trailer that shows a bunch of stuff exploding, but I think you want to talk about something very specific in the trailer, right? Yeah, they use a Creed song, Higher, in the trailer, which nothing says 2000s like Creed's <laughs> Higher, um, which Higher does not actually, is not played in the um, movie or is not on the soundtrack. So they just use it for the trailer. And um, boy, I think it might be my least favorite trailer I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. It's so, I hate that song so much. Not really? just because it's cool to hate Creed, but that song sucks. Right. It, it might be cool to hate Creed, but I must admit that was the song that introduced me to Creed and I've been a lifelong fan since. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be in Zoe's I'm a camp on this. I'm yeah. to many people, but I love that song. And it's, this funny thing is that it, the crushing disappointment and how it's not in the soundtrack or in the movie. Yeah, you know, yep. I was like, I was so jazzed up about that song. So uh, this is where we differ, Brad. It's all right. <laughs> we can have different opinions and still respect each other, but boy. Right, right, wow. right. I'll say this. Exactly. I, I agree. The trailer, I'm not a big fan of the trailer because I think it's just, here's the Creed song and a bunch of flashy stuff. It doesn't it doesn't really tell you what's going on. But I'm with you, though. That kind of introduced me to Creed, and I'm like, oh, I want to go listen to more of this. And I'll 100% say I kind of like Creed. I've, right. I'm, uh, I, 
I like all the, the worst bands, uh, Creed, Nickelback, uh, who else you got? I'm, I'm all about it. I, know I don't know. There's, a, there's a lot on this soundtrack. We'll get to that later. Oh, right, yeah. Right. Right. yeah. <laughs> now, I'll say the soundtrack. Woof. Okay. There's um, a lot of fart rock on this soundtrack. <laughs> well, obviously, this thing bombed at the box office. That's why we were talking about it. So, Brad, let's go through the numbers. Give us a little history lesson on what this thing cost and how it performed. Yeah, so somewhere reported the budget is 75 to $90 million. I tend to go more towards the highest reported because we'll get into it, but they spent $30 million on a film and literally had nothing to show for it, um, which, so in my real life, I help evaluate risk and, and make sure decisions are made based on risk and mitigating risk. And when I hear and see things where, a film has already cost $30 million and they literally have nothing to show for it. Me as a person who thinks rationally, I say, okay, let's just cut our losses now. And that $30 million is gone. And maybe in 10 years and 15 years, we'll come back to this, but there's something just isn't right. They didn't do that for this movie. They ended up spending another $60 million to uh, get this film out. Um, and I would have been right. Cause it only grossed, um, $36 million total, uh, 22 domestic, uh, 14 internationally. Um, it's opening weekend, which it released June 16th of uh, 2000. So this is a summer blockbuster film. It grosses $9.375 million um, for a fifth place. Oh, wow. Yeah, fifth. Ouch. And, you know, when you're spending $90 million on a film, I think what they hope at least – is you make half your budget back the first week. Um, so this is very far off from that. Yeah, you have um, to if you're going to stand a chance to get any yeah, of that money back. Especially yep. during the summer because they will your, – your legs in the summer are pretty short because things are releasing weekly. Right. Um, lots of stuff. is, And so the top four grossing films of that week are Shaft, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, Big Mama's House, our boy Martin. Isn't, isn't that Martin Lawrence dressed up as a, a fat woman? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mission Impossible 2 and then Titan A. So also critically, we're, this is what we call half and half choice. is 50% with the critics and then 60% with the um, audience. Um, other movies that came out June of 2000. Again, I said Gone in 60 Seconds, Shaft. Um, Boys and Girls, uh, Chicken Run, Me, Ooh. Myself, and Irene, which I've seen. So I think I saw literally almost all these films. The Patriot, I saw that. And Perfect Storm. I did not see the last one. I did not see The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. I did not oh, see yeah. that in this saw, saw all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw all of it. I, yeah, so wow. uh, this movie did not do... Great. Um, I think I read they wrote off a hundred million dollars for this movie because getting Creed to license a song from Creed for your trailer is not cheap. So marketing, they had to market all this film quite a bit because again, it's a summer blockbuster. So you're going up against so many films. You got to spend some money to make some money. Um, it's a bad investment to wow. say the least. Uh, Fox um, Animation Studios. This was their last of three films. Yeah. So. And it again, it's it's a story of a studio who, at that time period, going in the nineties, two thousands, everybody's trying to set up their animation department because 
they're they're looking at the Disney model and saying we can print money with the right um, you know, IP and and just really get it out the it door. Look, it looks so easy. You it, just it have does. to animate look, films. Draw a picture, put it in front of the kids, they're gonna give you their money. I, I think every studio yep. had that. I think for every have a question. For every yeah. one second, draw twenty-four pictures and then <laughs> I had a question about uh you said licensing creed was gonna be expensive, but weren't they brand new at that point? Like I uh, think that was off for of their first album. No, that was off their second album. Oh, okay. I want to say Human Clay is their first album. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's so, their second album for so sure. So they're probably big at this point. They are. Uh, Higher was Creed's like coming out party. They right. This was their pinnacle. Um, and if you wanted that song, probably cost you quite a bit um, just because they, they cash in, man. Right, right, right. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Well, let's let's talk about the people who made the film. And did some of the voice acting, and of course, we're going to start with Don Bluth. Are, are you guys familiar with Don Bluth? Yes. Absolutely. So, Zoe, what is there a Don Bluth movie that comes to mind when you hear that name? Didn't he do the Secret of Nim? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So that's I, there's one other movie that I can't think of, but that's the one that automatically comes to mind. I think he did a, a Lord of the Rings adaption or The Hobbit, one of those. He did an adaption of one of those stories. Yeah, I didn't see that. So he's Secret and Nim was 82. He did the Dragon's Lair video game in 83. Ah, that, that was a that is, big right, thing. Right. And then that same year he did Space Ace. He's also known for American Tale, The Land Before Time, and then another Dragon's Lair 2 video game. Now I totally forgot all about those movies. Yeah. <laughs> all, all Dogs Go to Heaven. I've seen All Dogs Go to Heaven uh, probably about 700 times because my <laughs> my babysitter that I stayed at her house we had a like a rotation of about 20 films and all dogs go to heaven was in that rotation um so well, I, I know everything about all dogs go to heaven yeah and, it, and it's 1989 he teams up with Gary Goldman because the directors of Titan AE are both Don Bluth and Gary Goldman so 1989 they start working together they do all dogs go to heaven rockadoodle a troll in central park Anastasia in 97, which was kind of a big hit for both of them and Fox. And then the last film they work on together was Titan A in 2000. Now, something super interesting about Don Bluth, um, he was an animation director and animator for Disney. So towards the tail end of his career with Disney, he was the animation director for The Rescuers in 1977 and Pete's Dragon in 1977. And both of these films had a pretty good box office return. If you go back and look at The Rescuers, it was a huge hit. The general thought, however, at the time in the late 70s was that the animation at this point for Disney was not up to par with the classic work that they had done. And there were rumors that were going around that the production unit at Disney might shut down indefinitely. So Don Bluth, on his 41st birthday, he quit Disney, took 18 other employees with him to start an independent animation firm. And then the first product out of that was The Secret in M in 1982. So he does have a Disney background, just kind of got fed up with the company and then struck out on his own. And then late 80s, going into 90s, teams up with Gary Goldman and, and they start directing films together. The writers of this, this is where it gets really interesting. I, I have a theory that the more writers and screenplay credits you get on a film, the more problematic it gets. Um, I, I don't know if you guys agree to that, but it seems like if you have a singular vision or single storyteller um, doing the script, it, it seems to work out a bit. But when you get four, five, six, I mean, eight screenwriters, 
it's just, it ends up being, you know, the final product is a mess. Too many cooks. Too many cooks in the kitchen. But this is yeah, interesting. That, that seems to be true. Yeah. I would say and that most of the movies that I look at that, that are better tend to have no more than three writers. Yeah. I think three is the magic number. More than that, it's, it's problematic. But you've got two story credits here. Hans Bauer and Randall McCormick were both listed as story. So Hans had um, also Come written. Come on, please. He's German. It's Hans. 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 <laughs> Hans Bauer. Uh, Hans Bauer did. Like uh, Hans Gruber. Yeah. Come on. Your favorite movie. Come on. Anaconda in 1997. That's that's something he's known for. And Randall McCormick. Oh, Amazing I know movie. Anaconda is an amazing movie. You're going to love this, Brad. He did uh, Speed 2, Cruise Control in 97, and The Scorpion King 2, Rise of a Warrior in 2008. So that's where we're starting. Now, screenplay, you get Ben Edlin, and you also get Joss Whedon. And we've talked about Joss Whedon before when we talked about um, Serenity and his TV show Firefly. Now, Ben um, had done uh, Go in 1999. Oh, John August is also noted as a screenplay as well in this one. So there were three screenplay, two writers. But I want to talk about Ben for a second. He did Go in 1999. Charlie's Angels in 2000, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle in 2003. Uh, then he starts working with Tim Burton, Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, Dark Shadows, Frank and Winnie, and he is credited. Now, Zoe, you, you talked about the classic Aladdin film. Ben wrote the screenplay for the new one in 2019. Did you take a, a peek at that? Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't see that. I okay. didn't know. I saw scenes of it and... That right. Oh no, I've seen the movie. I I didn't know he he was. Uh, oh, what, what did you think about the new Aladdin? I, I oh, I, it's it was actually here's the point. I I I was scared of it, right? Yeah. Because they on the first trailer, the animation looked per, it, it looked discouraging. I don't want to say it, it was bad, but it was discouraging. But then um and and I wasn't sure about how it was all going to turn out. But uh, when I, I watched it, I was like, you know what? It's pretty good. It's a pretty good movie. I, I you know it it, it lives up. It, it's pretty good. Strong disagree. <laughs> they made Will Smith so. Will Smith's best attribute is he's charismatic and he's so such a likable guy. Like, watch Fresh Prince and you're like, man, that guy is like charismatic. Bad Boys charismatic. Anything he does, that film it just feels like he was so flat and he is the best part. But that's just not saying a whole lot about it. So, ooh, right. Well, I'm gonna have to check it out myself. Yeah. I've only, I've only seen bits of it and it. It didn't interest me to like run right out, but I do own it on 4K. I just need to watch it now. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and Joss Whedon, just for context, I mean, this is 2000. So he was working on his TV shows, Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, and Angel. Uh, he also, the following year, had a story credit for a Disney film, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. So that, you know, Joss hadn't kind of transitioned into the directing chair for Marvel yet. He's still working, you know, production, screenplay, et cetera, for his TV shows. But that that's sort of an interesting hodgepodge of people to do story and uh, screenplay on this Fox film. Now let's talk about the people that lend their voices. This also gets pretty interesting. We start with Matt Damon himself. Um, it, you know what? When Team America World Police came out and they were making fun of Matt Damon, I don't know if they knew how spot on they were. <laughs> <laughs> with Matt Damon at that time period. But um, in 2000, I don't think Matt Damon was the Matt Damon that we know today. 
He did Goodwill Hunting in 1997, which I think we would all agree that's where he sort of hit the scene. He'd been working before that, but Goodwill Hunting really put him in the A-list. In 99, he did Dogma, The Talented, Mr. Ripley, and then he had a few movies coming out in 2000, All the Pretty Horses, Finding Forrester, The Legend of Bagger Vance, and of course, Titan AE. Are you guys Matt Damon fans? Yes. He's all right. I'm I'm not going to say I'm a super fan, but I'm not going to dismiss a film because he's in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Rounders is one of my favorite movies ever. Period. He's so he's one I if I see him in a film I'm interested. However, uh I I got to say I'm I can't I'm not exactly interested in his output lately. What's the newest one he did? Stillwater? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that one does it for me. Um, I yeah, thought that, at first it was like a like I thought he was playing like Larry the Cable Guy. If you look at it, you're like, it's just like a like a weird biopic of Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> it looks just like, I'm like, oh, this is, no. But apparently that movie is actually pretty good. Really? Yeah, it's it's problematic on a, on a bunch of levels. But uh, <laughs> my my favorite Matt Damon movies is the Bourne series. Yes. So to me, it was like, oh, I like this Matt Damon fellow. <laughs> I, I like those movies. I mean, now, Bourne- The Departed is really good. I mean, he's yeah, great in The great Departed. Departed. He's, he can, you know, of all the... I, I love the ocean movies. I, I like him when he just seems the most comfortable with the role. And I think that's what makes the Bourne movies. I mean, you're not going to watch the Bourne movies for the action choreography because you can't see most of it, but you are going to watch it for like the suspense and Matt Damon's performance and him running around. And and I think that works, but yeah, I, I can't, I'm not a Matt Damon super fan, but I, I do enjoy the most of the movies he's in. Um, the next one we get is Drew Barrymore. She's Akima. About this time period, you know, she had come off some rom-coms, never been kissed. But in 2000, outside of Titan AE, she had kind of moved into the producer's role and uh, produced and starred in Charlie's Angels 2000, which is a huge hit for her at that time period. Uh, Drew Barrymore fans outside of like E.T. and and some of the classics? No? No, not really. I mean, yeah, I'll say that I've liked her ever since E.T., but I'm not a huge rom-com fan. So not like I'm, I'm not going to seek her out, but I, I'm not, I'm really disappointed when she's in a film. Like I like, I like the first Charlie Angel, Charlie's angels movies. It wasn't great, but I liked it. Uh, I, but I did not like the second Charlie. The second angels one movie. is trash. The second one <laughs> right, is right, terrible. Right. It's like they, they went too far on, it's like a little bit of camp is okay, but then you, you overshot the target. Uh, but yeah, the second one is the one with the motor, the motorcycle stuff, right? Oof. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've totally forgotten that movie. Yeah. I just know. It. <laughs> We've all totally forgotten Mick G. So let's just. Keep yeah. But uh, yeah, she's. Uh, I liked her. I mean, but there are a couple of movies that are uh, rom coms that I've seen her. Like I like Fifty First Dates. So that and she was really good in that one. So yeah, it's she's pretty good. If you had asked me, like, put a list together of people that could possibly have a talk show in 2021. Drew Barrymore, even if I went 100 actors or actresses deep, Drew Barrymore would not be on that list. So it shocks me that she has like a daytime talk show. But Right. Or anybody that would have an interest in daytime talk show. It wouldn't have struck me that, to me, I would think that she would just do another movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a good point. So we've we've also got some other uh, interesting choices for voice acting. We got Bill Pullman as Corso. I think Bill Pullman's been in everything. That guy has like a thousand acting credits. Uh, Jim Brewer, the stoner himself as the cook. Um, Janine Garofalo as Stith. Nathan Lane as Preed. 
and I can't remember is Nathan Lane, Timon or Pumbaa from the Lion King. Oh, um, he's, he's Timon. one of is it Timon? I, I want to say Timon. I might be wrong, but I, cause Pumbaa's voice strikes me as like heavier. Timon is lighter. Okay. I think it's, yeah. We're yeah going I think with you're that. right. We're going with that. That's what it is. I don't care what the internet says. <laughs> yeah. He's Timon. He's Timon for okay, sure. Timon. He's Timon. For All right. Sure. Yes. Well, Zoe said it was, so I'm just going yeah. with that. Um, <laughs> now here's, we get John Leguizamo as a goon. Here's the thing. I, I really like John Leguizamo, but John Leguizamo actually has made what I might consider the worst movie I've ever seen. It, and it is one that my wife loves and it absolutely drives me nuts. Like I can't be in the room when this thing is playing. Is it the pest? It is the pest from 1997. Have you seen yeah, this? It's atrocious. Uh, it's really bad. Yeah. Your I, wife is wrong. I love your <laughs> wife, but she's, that is a bad take. So um, have you seen the pest? I have not seen the pest, but I would argue that uh super Mario brothers must be. Oh, the no. worst movie. No, no. <laughs> Are you saying the pest is actually worse? The, yeah. the pest Super Mario is Brothers? a crime against humanity. It is <laughs> literally. I am surprised John Leguizamo was not serving, you know, time in some Swedish stockade for putting that garbage out there and assaulting <laughs> everybody's eyes and ears and everything for that film. Super Mario Brothers, for all intent and purpose, is the Citizen Kane of films in comparison to the pest. It's terrible. It's not. Yeah, you're not wrong. Okay. All right. And I, I like I, I like the Super Mario now. Brothers movie for what it is. I think it's hot trash, but it's so fun to watch. Yeah, it doesn't make you want to slit your wrist when it's on. So <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not like looking at the bathtub and holding a toaster at the same time. Is like, hmm, is this is this a better outcome than watching the pest? You know, and I feel bad. So <laughs> we we talk about Supernova, and we're like. Guys, look, this movie's terrible. Don't watch it. And yet, even today, I have people going, well, because you guys talked about Supernova, I had to go see this. Now, when I'm talking about how bad the pest is, and, and Brad's in agreement, and, and Zoe, this is more for you. Don't go. Well, you know what? They said it was so terrible. I really got to dip my feet into this and see how terrible it is. I'm telling you right now, your life is so much better than ours because you've never seen this film. Don't, <laughs> don't ruin it. Um, and for anybody listening who's like, man, I really want to see the pest now because of um, Troy having kittens over this thing. I am telling you right now, stay away. It, if you've never seen it, you, you're living a much wholesome, fuller, fulfilled life than, than me at this point. Because that, that's time I just can't get back. And I live with a woman who wants to watch that every once in a while. And I, whew. Wow, that's sad. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I, I, I shall heed your warning. Yeah, don't do, don't do it, man. Don't do right, it. right. Um, rounding it out, we get Ron Perlman as Sam Tucker. I, I feel like Ron Perlman is another one that's been in everything. Uh, and and this is super interesting. We have Tone Loke as Tech, who has made such amazing classics as The Adventures of Ford Fairlane from 1990, which I I like that film, and uh, Ace Ventura: Pet Detective in '94. Um, I I don't I don't whatever happened to Tone Loke. I don't know. I've seen it on a, on a couple of sitcoms. He might do a cameo in a movie, but I guess he's he's either been smart with money or he's in a homeless shelter. I don't know. Because <laughs> I, I think I was looking up um he I was looking up Tone Loke on IMDb, and the picture that shows up is him with an arm cast pointing at the camera, 
So I, I, I hope he's okay. And then the other thing is I totally forgot he was a Michael Mann heat. So, right. So yeah. I, I, oh yeah, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, let's talk about the, I love that. Sorry. Tomo's yeah. second album is called cool hand Loke. And I, I love that. I love it. <laughs> cool I love it. I, I, I like, I like tone Loke albums. So I, yeah, I'm oh, yes. pure fan. Uh, let's talk about the product. You, you hinted at this. So, um, before we get into the thoughts of the film, let's talk about why this movie is a little bit problematic and it was in development in 20th century Fox since 1998. And it was originally going to be a live action film. So when they got the script and they got the concept and idea, they said, we're going to do this live action. They started working on it, you know, in 98, it had been passed around script wise. And to your point, Brad, they spent $30 million on early production development, didn't get anywhere with the live action version so the producer that was asso- that was associated with that project at that time gets fired. So that's one of the things that happens in some of these stories that we talk about with these bombs. You, you get a little upset behind the scenes. $30 million, though, and they yeah. have nothing to show for it. it. Well, of course they're going to fire that guy, right? Yeah. So the chairman of 20th Century Fox. He made off with $29.5 million. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's your script. That guy, yeah. yeah. So chairman of 20th Century Fox, Bill Mechanic, then gave the script to Fox Animation Studios creative heads, Don Bluth and Gary Goldman. So they had just done Anastasia, and it was a pretty big moneymaker for him. Uh, Mechanic had no scripts for Fox Animation Studios to work on and was faced with a choice of laying off the animation staff unless they took Titan AE and worked it into an animated film. Uh, Despite their inexperience with the science fiction genre, Bluth and Goldman took the script and started working on it. And they were given $75 million in 19 months to make the film. So I think that is even higher than what your initial estimate was. Yeah, that'd be, uh, that put it at 105. Yeah, and that's what My makes this correct. What's make, what, what makes this story a little weird is you know they just blew away $30 million, But some sources are saying, well, after the $30 million was gone, they gave them another $75 million and said, you got to make this in under two years. So during the production of Titan A, and here's where it and gets, making animated films under two years is fast. It very fast. Terribly. So Tarzan, I think we talked about this on the Iron Five Giant. Five years. Five years. That's what yeah. Disney's doing, right? I mean, even even something that was we considered to be really fast, Iron Giant, was two years. So they still had five more months. Yes. So. And they're using interns and everything to get it done. Yeah. Well, it gets worse. So during the production of Titan AE. Fox Animation Studios did suffer a number of cutbacks. Over 300 people from the animation staff were laid off from the studio in 1999, and as a result, much of the film's animation was outsourced to a number of independent companies. So they were using this to keep people going, but ended up, during the production, still laying a bunch of people off. And then under pressure from executives, Bill Mechanic was dismissed from 20th Century Fox prior to Titan AE's release. And then um, eventually Fox Animation Studios closed on June 26, 2000, which was 10 days after the film's release. 10, 10 days. It yeah. lasted 10 days after Titan A. So they saw that first weekend and they were like, all right, yeah, we, done. And we've talked about this. I mean, most of these bombs come out of the gate with problematic stories. So you've got, you know, change in studio executives, money out the door. Um, obviously studios being affected, um, with layoffs, et cetera, too many writers. So this is a full recipe for something that was not going to be successful, but now it's 2021, 21 years after the release of Titan A, we get to talk about it. Um, and I'm gonna start with you, Zoe. So what, what's your initial impressions after 
you went back and revisited? Because like you said, this is not a first time watch. So I'm curious, how did this thing hold up um, in in your recent viewing? No, it's it's about the same. I I wasn't in love with it when I first saw it and uh, nothing has improved, right? It's not, I, I hadn't changed my opinion. It, it's the exactly, exactly the same as I remember it when I first saw it. Um, the only thing I would say is that it had a nice mesh of animation and computer anim, uh, uh, computer assets or computer animation. So that I think that was new at the time, and you can see some of it hasn't aged well. But uh, that that I, I don't think I clocked that when I first saw the movie. But this time I was like, oh yeah, they're they're using computer graphics, and it, and it, it works pretty well. But um, there there are a bunch of problems with the story. But what I did appreciate is that although with their apparent inexperience with uh, science fiction genre, they, they got some of the science right, right? Where it, it worked for me, like uh, especially some of the outer space things that the things that they did with gravity, a, a lot of that worked pretty well. But the overall story had some, I, I, I guess it wasn't thrilling enough for me or they didn't know where they were going. I, I couldn't tell you. I can't pinpoint why I didn't love this movie because <laughs> it, it is geared towards something that I love, but it's like it, it's missing something that and that I'm not attracted to. Okay. So in general, though, did it did it? If if you had a science fiction itch, would this scratch it, or would you just go to something else? I'd probably go to something else. Okay. Well, Brad, what are your thoughts? Oh boy. You know, the cardinal sin of a lot of these films that we've reviewed is it's just boring. And I think this one is super boring. Um, you know, the only kind of sequence that I think stands out is the, the ice sequence towards the end where the action sort of picks up and things happen. Um, up until then, man, it's like, we're explaining a lot of stuff and here's, this creature that looks like this and here's this creature that looks like that. And we're saying the word dredge all the time. And it, none of it really works for me. Um, the hand-drawn stuff uh, against the CGI ages very poorly. It, it, it is okay. That last planet, the new earth planet looks like unfinished work. I'm sure it is. I'm sure they ran out of money and time. But that last shot where you're like, it pans out and shows you what it looked like a PS one game. Oh yes. Yes. (laughs) It looks really bad. And, and I know, look, this, you know, animators will tell you all the time. It's, it's not them. It's time and money. And I, I get that, but it looks terrible. Um, I mean, basically like this is like a Noah's Ark story, but like they don't really get to that point until the very end because they they keep the titan such a mystery but you know like we know from the very beginning it's important so like don't don't hide that from the audience for so long and then make it like oh it's such a cool reveal like well no obviously it was important the guy flew it away from earth like obviously um you know and then so it's like your basic noah's ark white guy savior sort of deal um i wanted to get Zoe's opinion on this because like this film is super white like there is like you know there's creatures <laughs> everywhere but like white guy you know, white guy savior stuff we're like what why and i don't like i, I don't understand like I, I and i'm not trying to be like woke or whatever but it's like where are the where's orlando where's our people who were like i don't know like 
we have to have everyone. I, I don't know. I just, and, and it has one of another trope that I absolutely hate. It has the good guy turned bad guy turns back into good guy to help defeat the enemies. And it's like, okay, this guy was a good guy for 30 minutes. He was a bad guy for 30 minutes. He was a good guy again for 30 minutes. And then you don't know what happens to him. And it's like, what is, I don't know, man, this, this movie's a mess, but ultimately the first hour is so boring that I guess when the ice starts hitting each other in space, I'm like, okay, that that's kind of cool. But wouldn't, would there be much ice left anymore since it just seems like it's continually knocking into each other? And like, I don't know. It just seems like when they got there, it's when they started, the ice particles started hitting each other. It's like, I think out in space, they would keep moving around. And then this film takes place in the year 3000. And it's like, Oh, we're still playing soccer in the year 3000. Like that's what we're doing. I, I, I don't know. It's just all problematic all over the place. So I did not like it very much. Troy, <laughs> it was boring. Wow. You guys came out swinging. So uh, the the film is not very deep at all story-wise. Actually, it it's all surface level, right? And it contains just about every space opera trope. Uh, you've talked about some of them, but you get the band of heroes chasing after a thing to save the universe. That's That's really the story, right? You get a main character wrestling with father issues. You get a side character who acts as a father figure to the main character. I feel like we see that all the time. I mean, Star Wars, we were talking about that, right? I mean, that's, I just yeah, described Star yeah. Wars for you. Um, hordes of one dimensional bad guys that they can just, you know, destroy. And you don't feel guilty watching these things die because they're, they're just faceless hordes, right? Um, a love story between a main character and somebody in the group, and then uh, alien sidekicks. So, I, I think they had a checklist. Uh, Bluth and Goldman were like, we got to have these things, so let's put that in there. And there's nothing new here. And I agree with you, Brad. That last shot, it almost, it just looked like you were watching the film run out of money there at the end. Yes, yes. Where it was, look, we Do you we remember the TV show Reboot? Yes. I, yes. I don't remember that. So it, it literally turns into Reboot at the very end. It, yeah. it was like a the very, one of the very first, I think, CGI cartoons we had. And going back and looking at it now, it is pretty atrocious. But like all of a sudden, this turns into reboot for about the last thirty seconds of the film. Right. Um, it yeah. Is, the rest, the rest of the CGI was not that bad. It you know it aged okay. Like the uh, the main hero ship that was CGI and CGI not look good. The uh, the enemy craft, the, all that was CGI and all that looked good. But like when you get down to the new Earth. And you look at that landscape, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this this really looks like it, ma- it was made in 2000." <laughs> yeah, they, they ran out of money. You can definitely tell that at that part, right. um, it makes sense when you hear the story that they outsource the animation. They right. outsource that to uh, some kid on Windows <laughs> Four, and uh, you know that's what they got, right? Um, but but here's the thing. Uh, well, I, I got to ask you, what did you think about the beginning? I mean, the Earth blows up. Everybody's trying to escape. Uh, was the animation at least decent or impressive at that point? Oh yeah, the animation was really good. The um, like I don't I don't fault the animation itself. So the uh, that was good. I like the the story that they were building in the beginning. So the the story in the beginning was really drawing you in. All all of that was really good. You you had the father and son uh, relationship, and you know the son invented this toy gadget. 
and you know they're and then all of a sudden they're being attacked uh that was uh quite sudden but still it, it that didn't bother me all that much it it actually kind of drew you in to the movie a little bit it's only after that beginning part where it it kind of it, it kind of loses steam after that right after Matt Damon grows up. It kind of loses steam. Because <laughs> I think we've all seen enough movies. We know exactly where this movie's going as soon as the earth blows up. Yeah. We know exactly the whole plot of this movie. Absolutely. You're, you're and it not going to be surprised. surprised. It doesn't, and, it, and it literally plays out the exact way you play it in your head. Yes. It goes A to B to C, and you're like, oh, I, I didn't need to watch this, so I knew exactly what was going to happen. At the very end of this movie, they're going to be on a new earth. I knew exactly what was going to happen. Since right. since the black and white serials of Flash Gordon, I mean, this one I think is almost trying to be a greatest hits of science fiction space opera. Uh, so there's nothing new. But I had a little bit different reaction. I don't love this film, but I at least had fun with it. And I don't know if you are fans of heavy metal. So either the magazine the or the cartoon or the, the music, <laughs> no, 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 the, the animated magazine that, oh. uh, the science fiction magazine, heavy metal that they also turned into sort of a, um, late seventies, early eighties, uh, cartoon, which was a bunch of different vignettes telling all different stories about, you know, this, this evil glowing ball that, uh, comes to earth and is, you know, telling this, this little girl, all these things, um, that it's done throughout the entire universe. You guys familiar with with yes okay yeah, I'm not uh, familiar with the the animations I just the magazine and Julie Strain yes yep yeah so that whole frame so this has elements that remind me of some of the artwork that would be in that magazine or even in the film but more of a kid version of it and I think when I was getting a little tired or bored of the story or it kind of felt like it was grinding to a halt because there is a section when Matt Damon's character is, you know, chopping up space things and when they're not being chased more or less, and they're, they're developing some story. I had fun looking at some of the character design and details and then listening to Nathan Lane's sarcasm just made me chuckle quite a bit. But I, I think the strength of the film really is in the creature design because the humans, both from a performance standpoint and even from a visual look, uh, are, are pretty boring. It's funny, um, Brad, you were talking about how white they are. The note I had on them was um, the, the humans are pretty vanilla. Um, <laughs> so I, I agree with you. But to me, the creatures are where I was having the most fun watching those. And I, I think that's where the voice performances are the best too. So a, a, as an example, John Leguizamo, I think, is the best thing about this with his um, – goon and i think what he's channeling is like peter Lorre as a space turtle and i th i thought that was a pretty interesting performance and i love the look of that character i loved um stith which was janine garofalo as a sort of jacked up space kangaroo um who's like the arms and and i i love the look of her and that interaction i liked uh preed which was nathan lane's character he's really the sarcastic um sidekick to the the space pirate captain or whatever, but he, he's he, the one the missing the ear, right? Yeah, I think so. He, he kind of looks like a darker Scooby-Doo. It's almost like Scooby-Doo mixed with a flying Fox, but almost with bat ears. And, and I, I like these animal characteristics that are hodgepodge um, with, with just different things that are familiar. Um, and my favorite, my favorite creature were the 
gals on the planet with the hydrogen trees right don't oh, talk. the bat like people yes that yeah. gave me so much of a heavy metal feel that whole sequence and that's probably my favorite sequence of the entire yeah, that's film. very ralph batchy kind of yeah back, yeah. kind of deal it, it's um, and they look like these red eagles that don't speak and um I, I i really enjoyed that aspect of it and i think you talked about this though the uh the dredge these blue lanky energy forms i like the look of it i think that's where the cgi does help out a little bit but I'll say this, when when they aren't being chased, um, and again, that sequence on that planet with the with the gals is my favorite. When they're not being chased, I'm, I'm just kind of paying attention to the creatures and the animation, and I liked that aspect of it. So I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than you guys. Um, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying this is Iron Giant level animation, because it's not deep at all. You but, better not, because I, I, will, I will turn this call off and I will leave. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm not gonna listen to that. I I, th I think it's all the alien stuff that I kind of enjoyed and got a kick out of, and I think the animation's actually pretty solid up to a point. It's it's that end sequence on the new planet Earth where it just you just watched a movie run out of money. I mean, literally. Well, I mean, you can always tell always tell what is CGI and what's hand drawn animation, and you know we literally two weeks ago talked about Iron Giant, and and that is more difficult to figure out what's CGI in this, what's hand-drawn in this. Um, Cause it all looks hand-drawn here. It's like literally like a green screen. Like you have your animated characters and then here is your CGI background. And it, I mean, it's like, you know, Phantom Menace level where it's just like, Oh, this looks terrible. I think, I mean, it does not age well at all. I think they were trying something new at that point. Yes. This is probably one of the first movies that tried to blend animation with, CGI. So I think this is something new that they were trying to like, let's, let's, I have an idea. Well, I think let's at that this. scope for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they like Aladdin, we said like the fire in Aladdin is CGI. Um, right. Right. So, but it, right. But they're like doing it like a much more minimal here. It's like the scale is much larger. So yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. There, there are problematic elements and I think it's, I don't know with science fiction, you got to do a couple of things for me. Um, you have to have the right balance of the science and the fiction. So your fiction has to be interesting enough. You got to give me something I haven't seen before, right? Because I'm going into science fiction territory. And then from the science part, don't bore me with so much science. Like if you start throwing math at me, I'm checking out because my wife's a math <laughs> teacher and I hear that all day. But um, give me some science aspects to it. So like you said, Zoe, they kind of touch on some things. And, and you see the future, like, here's what the world's going to be like in the year 3000. I, I like that aspect. And, you know, for me, the crazier the science, the better. Uh, so that, you know, these films rarely age well. So it's kind of fun to go back and, like, look at those 50s and 60s films when they thought, here's what radiation's going to do to giant ants and everything else. And right. here's, here's how this stuff works. And they're totally wrong. But you, you kind of sit back and laugh at that. This doesn't have those elements, but I, I think it has yeah, the animation's sort of problematic, but there's still a good blend of the science and fiction to it that keeps me interested throughout. Um, I, and I, I actually, I can tell Joss Whedon wrote some of this stuff. I mean, you can tell that in certain scenes, especially the exchanges between um, Nathan Lane's character and everybody else. That sarcasm sounds very like Buffy the Vampire Slayer Angel sarcasm. Um, and I, I think it works for some of these characters. 
I didn't hear another character belittle another uh, female character for being pregnant. So Josh Whedon probably <laughs> wasn't involved. Okay. We didn't go that far. But, <laughs> but there's a line in there when they're trying to pass a guard and they're all dressed up. And the guard's like, nope, you're not this and you're not that. And uh, the preen character's like, huh, wow, an intelligent guard. Didn't see that coming. So right. it's, those, I think, are the Joss Whedon elements within the script that work. Um, and, and especially just Nathan Fillion's sarcasm is always good with this type of character. Oh, I forgot one of the, so, so you had written in an email the other, cause you had just listened to the, speaking of Joss Whedon, you listened to the Serenity episode and you had a theory about this whole Chinese language. And do you want to go through that real quick? Oh, well, um, basically what we were discussing, like, so you were, you Troy, you were not, a fan of English people speaking Chinese uh, in the future, or at least peppering their English speech with Chinese phrases. Yes. And so an email, I uh, basically um, put forth my theory of uh, borrowed words. So we use them in English all the time. Like, didn't say qua or creme de la creme or banana, you know, so we have these words and English is the worst for this because there's no particular way you need to pronounce our words. It's some languages much harder to incorporate words, but then you hear English words and phrases in other language in other languages. And I didn't know that this was a thing until I think it was like in the two thousands or something. I was watching this Japanese movie and um, during one scene, and like his bunch of characters talking to each other, like they're police officers. And so you have uh, the superior, you know, like berating the inferior officer. And so the inferior officer, you know, he stands up and he's like, permission to speak, sir. Right. In the middle of his <laughs> Japanese dialogue, he spouts that out. And so I realized when I heard that, that the American military must have had a heavy influence on the Japanese language where, where they're saying that now, because because you're dealing with the police, they're using military jargon. And then um, in another movie that I, I just watched, Extraction, I saw that in, uh, in a Hindu language. You know, you got some cops that speak in Hindu and they're like accosting these kids, like th threatening them with arrest or whatever. And then uh, the kids are nervous because they think they're going to jail. And the police says, cool, cool, relax. It's like it, you know, he spouts out English in the middle of his Hindu. So I'm figuring that this must be one of those borrowed words. So my theory is that uh, at some time, like in Serenity's past, you had a situation where China had a heavy influence on the English speaking world and probably over the whole world. So is it either a situation where a lot of people are immigrating to China and living there or China actually conquered the world or much of it. So in that way, you know, the people under Chinese influence would start speaking Chinese quite regularly, but then they would switch back and forth to their own language. We have something like that, like Spanglish in America. So, <laughs> so um, I'm guessing that this influence carried on into the, the time period of serenity where people are still under the heavy influence of Chinese. And so in the, um, I don't know if it's official or unofficial, but some producer or someone said that in Serenity's past, there was a point where U.S. and China had basically taken over the world. And, and that's why everyone in the world is, is speaking some version of English or Chinese. 
So that's where you get a situation where they're spouting Chinese curse words or whatever they're spouting in the TV show. <laughs> so that that was what was in the letter, basically. Yeah, it's it's sort of a historical linguistics reference is what you're talking about. And it makes total sense. When when you sent that, I'm like, you know, this this makes total sense in terms of how that would be incorporated into world building, right? And, yeah. And you're yeah. absolutely right. I, I watch Bollywood films too, and it and it throws you off because you will be watching the film all of a sudden they start speaking in English and then come out of it. And if you think about um, really the British uh, occupation or, you know, the British territories within India and how it influences their culture makes total sense. And even with Hong Kong films, uh, you know, when you, you had Hong Kong didn't get, um, let's see, when was the handover to back to China? 97. I think yeah, is what it was. Late 90s, yeah. Yeah, and, and even up to that point, I mean, all films that were shown had to have English subtitles. That that was a thing. So you'd see English kind of bleed into the linguistics of, you know, the the natural Cantonese or Mandarin. And that makes total sense, at which no point the show nor the movie ever addresses that. Maybe the movie a little bit, but I'm telling you, I got so excited about this film because all of a sudden some Chinese pops up in the uh, what, what was it? The floating colony or something? You, oh, that was new Bangkok? Bangkok. Yeah. New Bangkok, new Bangkok. And then yeah. all of a sudden you go, oh, wait, that's a Chinese person too. So this film got it right. I think. Right. Oh, I think, uh, what's her name? The, I forgot her name. The one that's supposed to be in love with, uh, Matt Akima. Damon's character. Akima. Yeah. Akima. I think she's supposed to be Asian. I, I, at least she reads Asian to me when I was, when I seen the film. Or she might be uh, mixed or something, right? Yeah, Whatever. It, it goes back to the whole thing with Stranding Fire. Like how you described it makes total sense to me. And I wish they would have tried to incorporate some of that history in there so that the the Chinese made a little bit more sense. Because you, you watch Serenity or Fireflight, it's a bunch of white folks running around speaking Chinese. And you're like, why? Right, um, right. I, I think what it is is um, because it's a series, the way Josh... Uh, Whedon likes to write series. He likes to write out like a a several, um, how do I want to say this? A several series or uh, ser- not series. Uh, he he wants a several seasons story arc, right? So right. you start off in the first season, you show a little bit. And then as the seasons progress, you show a little bit more. He's like, he, he's got a lot of things already planned out. It's unlike, like if you watch Star Trek, they, they like to put everything up front in the first premiere episode or the first couple of episodes. And then every other episode proceeding, they will make it up as, a, as it goes along. It's very episodic. They don't have a grand scheme. That's why there are a lot of continuity errors in Star Trek, because nobody's paying attention to what happened in the past. And sometimes they'll just wipe the slate, the slate clean and start all over again. Right. But and with the way you know, Serenity works out in Buffy and Angel. It's like he already has like a grand arc that he wants to work with. So he he gives you a little in the first season. And it had the seasons continued, you would have started to learn a little bit more about the past and the, the history and why the characters talk and act the way they do. Because we don't get a whole lot of history about the brown coats or the the conflict between the uh well the Malcolm's faction and the the other faction that the overarching government faction because and you described it as uh maybe this was like a civil war situation mm-hmm. where they were together and one faction wanted to break off but it could also be read that these all were independent and then one faction decided to take care 
or take over all yeah. the other factions. Either one, but we don't have enough information from watching the series. And I believe that had the series continued, we would have gotten a lot of that. But you know, it was it was canceled too soon. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Really with you. I mean, hope, hopefully in the next seasons they would have got rid of that uh, theme song because it was terrible. But. Um, <laughs> But no, no, I, I did appreciate, I, 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 you know, mentally when they get to that sort of space colony floating around, because everybody on earth, you know, they've evacuated. Now they have to kind of put together these colonies. And when you see again, Chinese or anything kind of pop up, uh, you're hoping that it, it adds to the world building and it sort of makes sense contextually. I, I think that little tidbit was great. And I, and to me, it just, kind of brings me back to serenity and firefly again where i'm like well one of my complaints is you're trying to world build you have it in there but i don't think they contextualize it as much but hey this film just in its little snippet i think did a better right, job than, right. than serenity or fly firefly did right um you want to talk about the soundtrack oh my god the soundtrack the fart rock in this movie is so bad <laughs> the what <It's> so bad. <laughs> the fart rock the fart rock okay yeah. well here yeah let's why don't you explain fart rock yeah I want. <laughs> it's like it sounds just like someone is farting it out essentially like there's no, <laughs> it's as simple as that i didn't know if i was gonna go to serious xm because i got yacht rock on rock? there but is there fart yeah. rock <laughs> so anything like you know new metal like some of that's you know lesser new metal and like lit and things like that it's just like no power man 5000 definitely would be fart rock um like that that song that is playing when he is like when Kale, which his name is Kale, he's, he's a he's a leaf of lettuce, like <laughs> which is about as much personality as they give him. So like yes. if he was just lettuce going around to be about the same thing. But anyway, uh, when he's like breaking down whatever with the torch and that music's playing in the background, I kind of threw my hands up and I was like, this song is so bad. Like it takes you out of the movie because it's so bad. And I had the subtitles on and like the words are like, I don't know. The words are even worse than the actual music, but <laughs> oh, God, this soundtrack is so, so bad. Like all the music is just fart laughably rock. fart rock. <laughs> yes. So you get lit bliss, power man, 5,000, the urge splashdown. Jamer Jamiroquai? Jamiroquai, yeah. yeah virtual Luci Insanity. Lucius Luci Luci Jackson. No, Virtual Insanity would, would be a much better song in this yeah. if, if it was, but it's not. It's, everyone is going to the moon, I think, is their song in this. That's right. Lunatic yeah. Calm is another one. Yeah. I'd, so what did, what did you think about the music playing through it? Did it take you out or were, were, were you going, yeah, that's I fart rock? Don't. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> I have no opinion on the, mu on the music. Uh, it, I'm listening for Creed and Creed doesn't happen. So I'm slightly <laughs> disappointed. And it, it's not, you know, it's it's fine. It's It doesn't bother me. I, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'm not seeking these artists out. It's it's all right. Um, we just did a show. It was a, a movie, Ministry Society. We just recorded it yesterday. And uh, it was the soundtrack. Or Yeah, the soundtrack was credited to Quincy Jones. I was like, oh, let me look at the movie soundtrack and see uh, what songs are on here. And I don't recognize any of the song. None of the songs like stick with me. <laughs> like, it, so I'm, I'm, uh, I recognize some of the artists on that soundtrack, like Karis One and uh, some of the other ones. But other, but the songs they had on that soundtrack, I don't want to say they were bad, but it's not, they weren't songs that I were interested in. So the same with this movie. It's I don't hate the music, but it, 
it it's not exceptional. It so the chase sequence, I think, when the blue aliens are chasing after them and they they're on some skitter, gra- they shoot the gravity thing. That's when that song kicks out. I think it's a good example of how music can really amp up the tension and make it exciting. And, you know, there are some, you know, that's why John Williams is John Williams. I mean, he gets a theme or score going and man, it it really highlights what's going on screen. That sequence. It's like John Carpenter, maybe. John Carpenter. Yeah. You've got all these examples. And when that song kicked in for that sequence, I'm like, this should should be exciting but uh, I fart rock. That's probably the most appropriate term that I can think of for that song. Now, that's the only sequence that totally took me out of it. The other one, I think, were the wake angels or something that they're flying around in. Uh, visually, I thought that looked pretty good. The music wasn't really bothersome the way it was in that sequence because it's supposed to be a tense sequence, right? They're trying to escape the space station, get to their ship, etc., um, but yeah, I, I don't, wow. They, they really, I think did some misstep on the soundtrack for this thing, but it was 2000. We were, we were in a weird place. Yeah, It was a weird, it was a, it was a bad time for music. Yeah. I, bad I, time. I can only say that this particular genre of music is not something that, uh, I have a lot of focus on. So we're, I'm at a situation like a fart rock in general, or just, well, just, <laughs> just basically, you know, like, just rock, I guess. So it's not, so it all sounds the same to me. So it's not like I'm going to say that this is better than that or whatever. So it's not, so I, I'm not uh, at a position where I can judge it properly. I, well, and another you, thing I would say is that judge it. probably, mean, did, huh? did it, did it add to the, I mean, we just talked about uh, the last dragon. So right. when that, when that theme song kicks in at the end, when he's like, you know, who's the master? And he's like, I'm the master. And then you get, you are the last. I mean, when that kicks right, in, right. You, you stand, you're in it, right? Right, At right. no point in this film did you have a moment that just even came close to that Last Dragon song. So Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's nothing in, 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 that, in this movie where this, the song really jazzed up whatever scene that they was trying to portray. And um, I can't think of, like, the Last Dragon for me is the best example. So um, I can't think of a movie that jazzed me up as much as that. Uh, and on along those lines, they probably would have been a been better off going with an orchestral arrangement yes. instead of doing a, trying to do a rock and roll soundtrack. I see what they're trying to do, but if you can't afford the top acts to do with their top songs, then you, it's probably better off just going with an orchestral arrangement. You know, get you don't even have to get. John Williams, some a lesser composer probably would have did a halfway decent job. <laughs> so do you, do you think part of the reason, because I think the music choice, I mean, it's a studio executive or somebody saying, what's our demographic we're going for? So obviously right. in 2000, they're like, they, Hey, there's a, there's a really big fart rock audience out there. That's gonna, that is going to go to the movies. But I guess the biggest question I have with this film is like, who is this movie for? Like what demographic was, was it just preteen boys? And that's I think it. So, but like, also, it's pretty violent. Like when people get shot, they bleed. Like, yeah. there's some pretty violent stuff in here. Nothing that I would say like, oh, I'm not going to let my kid see this when he's right. 12. But yeah, it's weird. I don't know who this is really for. And and they get shot. It's like a, a yeah. lot of movies when there's gunplay. I mean, you think back even to the A team, you can tell that they was shooting for the print. It wasn't even just audiences that were. Uh, 
they they weren't even trying to beat the censors. They were purposely uh, doing it for teenage boys, uh, preferably twelve and under, because nobody ever, almost nobody ever gets shot in an eighteen. And uh, same thing with uh, something like He Man and Master of the Universe, specifically targeted at young boys because nobody ever gets stabbed with the sword. Um, he Man almost never punches like a human character. He usually throws them. And so, and that was an analysis that I had read. It's like, oh, I never even realized that. Because, and probably because I was the target audience. But in this film, people are getting shot. They're bleeding. Uh, strangely enough, there's no curse words out that I would expect. This seems to be. Was this a PG thirteen movie? Uh, I believe PG, wasn't it? Oh, it's PG. No. Or was it PG thirteen? Sure I, I, I don't would know. guess it was PG thirteen. Let me. Yeah, it, it seemed like because of the blood. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know. I think they aimed too high with the audience um, because the story wasn't um, sophisticated enough to keep an adult's attention and it was too bloody for a child. So it really... No, it says they PG-13 really for brief language, action, violence, and mild uh, sensuality. Mild sensuality, yeah, because of the shower stuff. Right, right. Oh, and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so that... Uh, so that sequence where they're they're kicking off the chase scene uh, and the cook is following behind him, the Jim Brewer character. And he's pointing to, Hey, they went down here and those blue aliens just waste him. Right. And, and kill right, him right, right there. Right. At, at that point, I'm like, Ooh, wow. I didn't, I didn't expect that. But I, I, I don't know between the music, between some of the violence um, it is, if you had told me that the guy who directed this or co-directed this also did an American tale or land before time, I'd be like, what, huh? Really? All dogs go to heaven. This is not in that same line. I remember Anastasia having some darker elements to it, but um, you know, this, this is the last animated film that those two directors did together. And I mean, obviously it bombed big time, but I, I just still wrestle with that question it it's not science fiction heavy to get all of the science fiction um, fans, you know, juiced up and coming to this. I don't know what age demographic it was going for, and why were they pulling those artists for the soundtrack? Like, I feel like everybody was grasping at straws in terms of who this movie was for. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, uh, I know that they're going for like between nineteen or between 21 and 15, something like that. That's the feeling I get. But the problem is that the story isn't sophisticated enough to draw that audience. Yeah, it's a good point. And then when you look back on it 20 years later, it's like, boy, this thing does not age well at all. <laughs> I, th- I think it does okay. Like I said, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and champion this thing as, as uh, an early 2000 contender for some of the best animated films. It, it is cool. I mean, we all um, at this point, I think, have watched the, the What If, um, the first episode. And in, in the animation, the movement, everything about that, it, it feels cinematic. And you're getting that in um, 30 minutes, right? I mean, it's a pretty short episode. It, it was fantastic to watch. It's, I, I mean, Titan Aid. Titan AE is not going to hit that level of animation we're seeing today, but there are elements of it that I do think work. Um, I think Don Bluth is a, is a really good animator and you see the Don Bluth style in the character and the aliens and how they interact. But I do think most of the film is problematic because I don't know if it had single vision or what it was going for. Like you said, Zoe, it's, it's not sophisticated enough. Um, I think it really comes down to, does it scratch your sci-fi itch? 
did you have fun with it? Do you like the visuals? Um, d- did it feel like a long movie to you? I know for me, it, there were some spots where I thought it was going to drag a little bit, but I thought it moved at a pretty good pace, in my opinion. I mean, I, I didn't. Thought the, my I thought the didn't first hurt. hour was pretty, pretty turtle pace to, for me. <laughs> like it was, it was crawling. I was, I was like, okay, I've gotten into an hour. It's like I guess I could finish this because boy, it's been a slog to get through this first little bit. So really, um, okay, yeah. Well, I didn't. Uh, it didn't feel long to me. Um, I couldn't tell you why. I, I, I think the pacing was all right. It wasn't, uh, there, there was just enough. I mean, there were definitely some s- slow periods, but there was just enough like excitement or action in it where it kept you just a little bit interested, right? Because the aliens are always chasing them. They're always showing up. Yeah. So it, it slows down. And the next thing you know, there's a shootout and, and you got to, uh, you know, you got to deal with that. So it, it wasn't slow. It, it was just, I guess, the reason it feels that way is because we we know why the aliens are hunting the humans. We, we get it at, at least at the end of the films. We we finally get it why why the Titan is such a threat to the aliens. But as you pointed out earlier, Troy, the the aliens are pretty one note. It's like they don't have a personality. We we don't. The audience doesn't feel threatened by them. We know that the characters do, but the audience though they don't you know appear particularly menacing. Um, they they just they got the soldier ones that go out and they're just shooting. And then you got the leader that's just giving out orders. And there's no interaction really between the main characters or the the either the leader or the 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 soldier ones. And so be, without that, it doesn't build that the kind of tension that you normally would expect between the hero and the villain. Right. Like if you think of like Indiana Jones, he's talking to or arguing a bantering with his nemesis. We, we see that a lot. Uh, that the famous conversation between uh, Grand Moff Tarkin and Princess Leia just before. Yeah. Uh, I have that dialogue memorized because I listened to that tape so many times. <laughs> so, but <laughs> you don't get that in this movie. There's nothing fun between the bad guys and the good guys in this movie, and that's probably why. Uh, that that's probably why I didn't like it as much as I don't know a three year old. That, that's well, fair. that's probably yeah. that's probably why they had to have that one character turn into a bad guy, because you needed some sort of character that you could interact with that was a villain. Because obviously the the dredge leader or any of the dredge were just these, you know, homogenous blue things that we had no idea what their motivation was. Did they just want to kill the human race? <laughs> right, right. Threatened. They felt threatened. But then I don't know why the well, this is a guy's name Cosmos or whatever, why he turned. Like, I still, I don't know why he turned bad and then why he turned good. Like, yeah, Corso, you're, you guys are Corso, spot on. Yeah. Corso was needed, I think, at a turning point because you have a film, it's a chase film up to the point that Corso turns and all of a sudden between him and um, the Nathan Lane character who's a sidekick, uh, Preen, I think, you you don't or preed you don't have it's I, like creed I, yeah, <laughs> yeah like creed, i was yeah. gonna say it rhymes with creed creed yeah. i didn't yeah you're right I, mm. I you need some personality in that role because i think every you know every great science fiction you know star wars has darth vader star trek has you know klingons or khan you know from from uh star trek 2 so that that really elevates your story if you have a bad guy or a villain you like to hate uh, and, and I'm with you guys at no point during this film. I don't know. I, 
I never thought they were truly in danger, but then there were these elements where people would die or get shot. And I'm like, oh, well, somebody could die in this sequence. I'm not sure what they're going to do here. But for the most part, there's, there just is, it's a chase movie lacking any kind of real villain for you to kind of get behind to kind of say, hey, there's a threat or tension in there. And so you're left with just the basics of, you know, again, the visuals, um, your, your fart rock. Um, and again, <laughs> it's getting from point A to point B in the story. Uh, does it, does it work for you? Cause it, it's just a basic chase film. It story-wise it's no, it has, I mean, even some of the Batman animated series and, and some of those episodic things in 30 minutes have more depth than what this thing has in, in 90 minutes. That's not good or bad. It's just, you, you're not going to look at this thing and go, wow, is blown away by, you know, this uh, question on humanity or, you know, it, it, it has the elements there. I mean, the humans right. at this point are taking a backseat to every species in the universe and they kind of touch on that in the beginning, but they don't do anything with it. So there, there are a lot yeah. of missed opportunities through it. All right. I was just thinking that um, there's the, the, the enemy, the, the main adversary. So they remind me of, the Geth from Mass Effect. Yeah. Even the Geth have a a little bit more personality. But they also remind me of the Borg from Star Trek. So when we're first introduced to the Borg, they're all pretty much homogenous. They don't really have a personality. They're just there to take your stuff and move on to the next system. Yeah. So, and it worked fine in that context of the TV show. But when they went to do the movie, uh, First yeah, First Contact, so that film also featured the uh, that uh, the Borg, but the writers had a problem with the Borg because it's like, how do you interact with this villain? They had the same problem with the Borg as Titan AE has with their villains. Like it's, and so the writer was like, well, we have to have a bad guy with a personality. This is just not going to work with with a Borg collective mind. So they invented the Borg Queen so that the other characters can interact with them and. Titan AE has none of that. Yeah, they they had to turn a character bad or, you know, Corso uh, and Preed in order to provide that. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, what else on on this film? We've, we've gotten some doozies, man. I have a new term I'm going to throw around now <laughs> with everybody. Uh, and, any other notes you guys want to share? Um, you go ahead, Brad. You, I'm just yeah. looking at... No, that's everything. I've... I've, I've I circled fart rock, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're like done for the week. You're, yep. you're so proud of yourself. Oh, I do. I okay. Well, so when the movie opens, did you all think scroll or narration? <sighs> scroll. I was or... thinking scroll. So well, because obviously it's 20th Century Fox. So when it hits, and then I'm I'm automatically assuming that it's just going to say Star Wars, and John Williams is going <laughs> to. You know, kind of dick slapped me with his music, but uh, I, I was, I swore I was like, there's going to be a scroll. There's going to be a scroll, but I was wrong. This narration. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I was actually kind of, I knew there was going to be one or the other. I knew this, I knew this science fiction film was either going to have a scroll or narration. I just guessed strong. I don't don't think I thought about it. I I did get caught up in, wow, they're, they're really starting big with this whole evacuation of earth and it blowing up. I, I got caught up in that. I'm like, this I was I was I was sold the si- on the first. The science of this movie is not kind, though. Like, okay, if you blow up a planet and you're just barely getting away from it, like, no, you're. 
It took out our moon too, which I kind of I know. Yeah. But yeah. there's so much problem with it. And also when you form a new planet, you can't just immediately go and like chill out on it. Like, no, it takes like millions of years for that to like be okay. Right. <laughs> right. So that much is like, I'm, okay. You know, hold that thought. He, I'm going to let, I'm going to let Zoe answer because I have a funny story about that okay. uh, new planet thing. Go ahead. Okay. Zoe. No, that that's exactly. I was just agreeing with Brad. Uh, it would take millions of years for the planet would cool off. And um, the, apparently they were in a debris field. So what the Titan ship did was it apparently gathered that debris together so it could form a planet, which I'm like, okay, that I guess it would happen. Apparently it sped up what was going to happen naturally anyway, because if, if there is enough debris to form a planet, then it would do it all by itself. It, it doesn't need help. So I think what the Titan did was it had the energy to speed up that process. But Brad is right. It would take millions and millions of years for that planet to cool off for it to be all right. Also, yeah. there are also millions of planets in the universe. So why not settle on one or the other? Yeah. Ones? Why, why invent the wheel when you have millions of other planets? Right, right, right. Hey, let's just go here. We have all, you know, let's land our arc here and just take over. You know, it would have been, it would have made more sense. Speaking of white people, that's what we do. We just go to other countries <laughs> oh and God. conquer them. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Here's some things, blankets and now we own your country. So it, you know. it would have made more sense if the arc was special because it could locate a planet that humans could live on that didn't have a whole bunch of life on it or a planet that didn't have uh, like dangerous bacteria and viruses that humans can live on or whatever. But no, it, it's capable of making a new planet in a totally unrealistic way, which it would have been fine if the reading, it was a like G-rated movie, but it was a PG-13 movie and that just doesn't fly in a PG-13 movie. So you don't, so Star Trek two or yeah, it's two where they create the planet right at the end, then send Spock's body there. That, yeah, that Genesis. was instantaneous, right? Genesis. Well, that was, uh, yeah, that was weird because that I think that's a big bit of a hiccup. When we first see the demonstration of the Genesis device, they launch it at a dead world, like a moon mm -hmm. or a planet that lost its atmosphere. It terraforms that planet and it becomes livable. And a process by which you would terraform a planet, I, I don't know the science behind that, how, how that would be possible. So they could probably do some super cooling technique or whatever so that, that that's their science and and i can accept that but later on in the film it seems as though they create a planet out of nothing and that is problematic and i never clocked it when i first saw the movie and now i forgive it now i'm like i don't care this is the best star trek movie they can have their planet <laughs> out of nowhere so what happened is that instead of crash landing on a dead moon or asteroid Khan sets off the Genesis device inside his spacecraft. And then there's this huge light and energy and it forms a ball and the ball eventually forms a planet. That's not how that's supposed to go. Even within Star Trek's universe and Star Trek's rules, they're breaking their own rules in this one. But I forgive it because it, it, everything else in the movie works, right? So if you have one faux pas, I can forgive it. So, but Titan AE has, it has multiple faux pas. It's, it's, it's like it's like when you turn in your homework and the teacher gives it back to you and it's marked with red marks all over the paper. <laughs> so that's, that was that's me. AE. Well, that it's funny. Me. So we were watching this uh, and I watched it with my daughter, my wife. We get done with it. I asked what they think. They, they liked it. And uh, Tabitha makes the comment at the end. She goes, you know, I was really into it, really buying it up until the point that they created that planet. So, you know, Earth 2 so quickly. 
And my response was, I'm, I'm sorry, what you, so the blue aliens and the, I'm going to, uh, when my windshield breaks in my spacecraft, I'm going to take it a fire extinguisher and exhale and, you know, go to the next ship. All of that stuff didn't bother you from a realism standpoint. You totally bought into what was going on, except for the creation of the planet. That's the thing that you're like, nah, I don't buy that at all. Actually, that was the scene that you described was the most realistic science that they used. They look like they studied. It's true. When you go out into space in a vacuum, you do have to exhale or your lungs will explode or something. I know something bad will happen to your lungs if you don't (laughs) exhale. The other thing is that space will not kill you immediately. It takes a long time for you to lose body heat. So really, it takes, yeah, it takes, they actually did experiments with this already on rats and whatnot. So they could survive in space for like 30, 30 seconds or something like that before something bad happened, before it's uh, catastrophic happened. So, and then um, because more people are getting kept to the science, like there was this one movie uh, about people going to Mars, all Mars movies for some reason is bad. So they're, uh, <laughs> they're going to Mars. And, um, the Martian is not bad. Sp- speaking of Matt Damon. Okay, we're, we're going <laughs> to... Oh, The Martian is one of the best Mars movies yeah. ever yeah. made. Yeah. But but besides that one, that's okay. definitely an exception. So Total, uh, total Recars, don't they go to Mars too? <laughs> Get your ass to Mars? Yeah. I, that Get was a pretty good movie. Yeah, so, that, that was the end of the trend until yeah. The Martian. Yeah. Everything in between, like Ghost of Mars, that 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 was all bad. So Classic, it was not a, bad. You meant classic. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a Tim Robbins, right? So it was... A, Tim Robbins movie, and I forgot who else. Oh, wait a minute. The Mission to Mars? From Sliders. Right. Huh? Was it Mission to Mars, the uh, Brian Mars. De Palma film? I guess that was it. So there was a scene in there, you remember, where they're in space and somebody has to die for everybody to live. Yep. So Tim Robbins takes off his helmet and he immediately freezes. And this is false. That that doesn't happen. And you won't immediately freeze. But it looks cool. So with Titan AE, the, the windshield was cracking. One character tells another to hold the exhale, exhale and hold your breath. He smashes the windshield and then he uses the fire extinguisher as potion to get to the next ship. The only thing that's false about that is the chances of that actually working is near zero because you can go in near any direction in space. So he, he his aiming at the canister has to be absolutely precise yeah. because you can go a trillion miles in one direction in space and not hit anything. And that's the one of the main criticisms of the like the asteroid belt in star wars right most scientists they look at it and they hate it because there's no way there's no asteroid field that's going to be that dense i i i take issue with them saying that but apparently that's the science that's a galaxy (laughs) far far away absolutely that's exactly what i say it's far far. how do you know there's no asteroid built like that you don't know you haven't been out there but, but uh, that's my point with the science. I mean, if, if you have a nice blend between the science and the fiction, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I have to assume astronauts and everybody else, I, I'm curious if they can sit down and watch science fiction films or if it just eats them up like that's not how that works. I mean, for me, being as dumb as I am, I'm like, well, that's cool. I, I buy that. You freeze instantly. All right. I, I think any time, right. Anytime you watch something that's in your profession, you're going to spot the stuff that doesn't work or it's wrong or it's false. Oh, absolutely. I think it it comes down, though, whatever world you build, can you stick to the rules of it? Right, right. And if you can stick to the rules, even as ludicrous as they are, I'm good. You know, what makes The Matrix so good is because it sticks to its rules for the most part for the entire film. 
So it establishes like here's um, the real world versus here's the matrix. And if you do this, this is what happens if you do that. And for the most part, from from the start of the film to the end of the film, it sticks to all of its rules. Now, they could be totally scientific and absolutely accurate or could be entirely off base. Either way, as a viewer, you're in it, you understand it, you you don't see fallacies within their logic of the world that they build. I, I enjoy those kind of films, but those, yeah. those are the best science fiction films. And The Matrix keeps the science simple. Like the only science fiction really, at least in the first movie, is them jacking into the computer. That's yeah. pretty much it. And and cause so everything they do in the computer is is whatever they decide to do. It doesn't matter what they do in a computer because it's all fake anyway. And they know that it's fake so they can bend the rules. So it's fine. Uh, uh, but um, in, in other science fiction like Titan AE, it's like you have to, it has to be a blend of what you want to make up and and how much real science you want to use. Yes. So such as anti- anti-gravity, how, how, how does that interact? How are we going to use that? And how is uh, how are we going to mesh that with real science? You know, how, how are we going to deal with that? Th- th- well, those are the questions that yeah. they ask and answer. So most of this, I don't have a problem with a lot of the science in in this movie. I don't see them breaking too many rules, except, I mean, there, there are obvious plot holes. Like, so uh, the Titan spaceship is able to absorb energy and make a new planet from fragments, and it immediately cools off so people can go on it. The aliens are made of energy. That is why the Titan is so threatening to them, because the Titan can suck them up. Yeah. Nobody figured out that the Titan can suck up the aliens and rebuild Earth, you know, from <laughs> scratch, because the, the pieces were still there and they could just do it right there. I, I think they tried to explain it by saying that the Titan used up most of his energy and launch, but still the aliens were there and attacking. You suck some of them up and and rebuild Earth. That movie would have been a twenty minute YouTube video, and it would have been awesome. <laughs> I, agree. I agree. No, you're right. Like, I didn't even question like the way the gravity thing, the anti-gravity thing worked because they showed it working and then they show it breaking and then they show a guy like hit it and fix it. And then it works again. And I never even thought about like, Oh, is that how they would do anti-gravity or anything like that? It's just that little bit of kind of showing me how it works real quick and then showing me not working. And then it makes you just not question it. Like, Oh, and this, this is how it works. Um, You know, if they would have mentioned something about, Oh, it creates a new world and then it does this and we can immediately go on it. Like, you would immediately buy, like, you just need one line literally to just kind of justify what they're doing. Um, but I think, I think this is like, even with the science, they're kind of rushing the whole time and just, they, they don't have time really to, to fine tune anything because they've got to get this thing made. So, I, and right. again, I don't, I don't, I didn't have a problem with the ending because you've got a big thing with all these vials. And if I were really to take it apart, it's like, how do you have all these DNA vials and how is energy going into this thing and exploding? How does it activate all these vials and all of a sudden you get trees? Pl- I, I don't know. At the end of the at the end of the day, is like visually, does it work? Does it work in the context of the story? You either buy it or you don't. And you know, Tabitha is a great example where she bought everything up to the film, but didn't buy that aspect of it. So there's obviously something within the science and the story. I, I don't even think it's a science. I think usually it comes down to the storytelling where people will go, "Oh, that took me out of it." Half the times, like you said, Brad, it could have been could have been a sentence. It could be one little detail that it's usually in your world building and your storytelling that are taking people out. For for me, it didn't do it, but 
I mean, obviously for other people get to look at this and go, well, I liked everything up until the, they created the new planet. And then this one detail wasn't in the story, took me out of it. I'm, I'm done with it. The only I, thing, I, the only thing I didn't like is just seeing the money run with, out. Uh, <laughs> I have that with Superman. The first <laughs> Superman, 1978. I have that, that exact same feeling where I bought everything in that movie. Absolutely everything. I'm all for it. And then Superman, and this is 10 year old me when I watched yeah. it. No, I wasn't 10. I was probably a little bit older probably 11, 11-year-old 11 me watching a movie in the movie theater, buying everything until he goes off planet and dr flies around the opposite direction fast enough to reverse the world rotation and thus reversing time. That took me out of that movie. I had That's my takeout moment. Thus killing everyone in the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, killing everyone, destroying the atmosphere. Yeah, it does. That's what would act. I saw a video on YouTube where they scienced it for me. <laughs> That's funny. That, other, that's a good example. Um, yeah. The other aspect of that is if you're fast enough to go around the world to spin the world in reverse order, how come you weren't fast enough to catch both of those missiles going in the opposite ends of just a fraction of the Earth's swift? Uh, he wasn't crying. <laughs> it's the crying adds to the yeah. element of it. Everybody knows that. That's science. <laughs> you fixed it. Oh yeah. my god, you fixed it. Yeah. Once you once you cry, um, it adds a, a you know thing to your speed. It's really cool. It's like swimmers with like too much body hair. It slows them down. If yep. Superman's crying, it, the you know the, Krypton tears really yeah. you know it's just that extra little nitro in his gas. He had he had to have an an emotional experience so that he can get a Super Saiyan boost, and uh, he turned Super Saiyan and he got new powers. Yep. Okay, I'm with it. Yeah, that's how it works, man. <laughs> well, I, I think it's time for the question. I, I, I'm pretty much know where everybody is going to land on this, but we're we'll gonna start with you, Zoe. So this thing bombed at the box office. We kind of tore it apart, um, tried to patch it back together. Critics and everybody else are half and half on it, but I'm curious. You had a chance to revisit Titan AE from 2000. Uh, is this film a bomb? Oh, this, this is actually a hard question because I don't want to say that it's a bomb because I thought at least before I watched it again, I, I thought there was maybe there was something I missed it when I missed something when I watched it in 2000 and I judged it too harshly. So I was like, well, let me watch it again. It may have some redeeming qualities. And I watched it again. It's like, I, I think it got what it deserves. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So you're calling it I a think, bomb. Yeah. I, I think this movie is a bomb. It, it doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't have the, that's uh, kind of a clean thing cliche things to say it's more accurate to say it, it doesn't know what audience it, it, it's geared towards um it, it's kind of all over the place the story wasn't uh strong enough uh and that's basically it the animation was good the the cgi for all of its fault that was pretty good the the science was good science fiction i love movies set in space with it overall the, the overall story just just wasn't strong enough because like when you see a movie and you love it you go tell people about it that's that's how the second part of marketing work, um, how marketing works is word of mouth. And, and you know, people saw this movie and it was like, meh. And, should, and somebody asked, should I see Titan A? And it was like, meh. And, and this yeah. is a meh, this is a meh movie. So when you're a meh movie, you can either just basically barely crawl over making a profit or you can bomb. And this movie bombed and, and it pretty much deserved that moniker. This movie is a bomb. I'm changing your name to Brad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right uh so brad number two is um this film a bomb 
Absolutely. This movie is a bomb. Uh, I think this movie create is doing the cardinal sin of just being really boring. Um, basically, there's one, maybe one and a half sequences in this movie that I find somewhat entertaining, but that's just me being kind um, in the soundtrack, man. It's so bad. So it's a bomb. I will never, I will never watch this movie again. Uh, there's no, there's really? no point now. Wow. Never. Okay. Never. I am going to dissent from you two. Now I don't <sighs> love this film, but I did have fun with it. I, I, there's enough in here. It, it's one of those films that in my head, I start adding out the good and the bad and I can go, Oh, I don't like this. I can take this apart, et cetera, et cetera. But when I go through it and I list all the things that I did like, and again, for me, it's about the, it's a chase film and it's a uh, science fiction space opera, like carbon copy of everything that's out there. But it's the little details in the worlds that they did show you and the creatures and everything else. I really got a kick out of it. And I, I liked, you know, I liked what John Leguizamo finally, you know, from an acting perspective, what he was doing with his character with that sort of Peter Laurie type um, space turtle. I, I like Janine Garofalo. I, I like the side things in this film and what was going on visually for the most part. Um, so I, I had a good time with it. I don't know if I'd turn around and, and watch it again. If somebody's like 20 years later, do you want to watch this? Sure. Why not? I, I can't sit there and say, I'll never watch it again, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I had a good time with it. So for me, it's, it's not a bomb. Okay. That's awesome. Um, now, uh, Tom Cruise will rescue you. You are the minority report. <laughs> I, I'm usually the minority <laughs> on this when we come to, you know, what's a bomb or something, but, and, and I'll also preface it this way. I don't know if it's because of coming fresh off of, um, final fantasy. It somebody could make the argument between final fantasy, the spirits within and Titan AE to your point, Brad, there's not enough going on here for it to be interesting that it does create the cardinal sin. For me, I think the difference is with final fantasy, there wasn't enough visually to keep me going and there wasn't the characters in that film. All of them were bland. Yeah. They're very wooden. Yeah. With at least Titan AE, there are some side characters and things going on around the main protagonist that kept me going and interested. And, you know, between Nathan Lane, John, I, I like those elements of it. Um, you know, it, it was fun again, but I would say there's, it's just a small gap between those two films, but it's enough of a gap that kind of says I would, I would put this one on the, on the side of not a bomb. See, this is where I descend. If I had to watch like a gun to my head, you're either going to watch final fantasy, the spirits within, or you watch Titan AE, which one would I choose? Uh, that's Titan AE 10 times out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would watch Titan AE over final fantasy all day long. I mean, <laughs> all day long final fantasy to me boy and i'm trying to play final fantasy 7 yet um and i'm enjoying the game even though i'm an echo eco terrorist in the beginning I, i'm wrestling with that part but no giant chickens yet so still still waiting are you playing the original or the remake the original i i, oh. I grabbed out my ps2 and got the disc and loaded in so i'm, I'm getting through it that's pretty awesome still waiting for the giant chickens brad Coming. The chocobos are coming, dude. Okay. Well, um, so thank you so much for kind of being on the show. And can you just let everybody know where they find you uh, and, and where they can listen to like the latest episode, Demolition Man, 
Um, and then if, if anybody wants a taste of it, please go back and listen to Enter the Dragon. I, I think that's where you should start. That was still my favorite episode. But um, how do they how do they find out about you in the podcast? So um, my podcast can be found in just about any place you listen to podcasts. It's called the Backlick Cinema Podcast. You can even Google it and it should show up. But uh, like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, which some of the Spotify, Pandora, you can listen to podcasts on Audible now. It's they're everywhere. So pretty much any place you listen to podcasts. Also, uh, you can check out my website on backlickcinema.com. I have all the episodes there. Also, uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backlick Cinema Podcast or on Twitter at Backlick Cinema. And uh, you can email us at fanmail at back, backlickcinema.com. Awesome. It, it is. I cannot uh, say this enough. It's such a fun podcast. And I love listening to you and Zach just talk films. I mean, you, I'm a sucker for anything that's sort of like a, a you know, father-son relationship, but your guys' chemistry, it's unmatched. And, and I just love listening to you every week. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule to kind of come to our show. And, um, and I guess in your case, endure Titan AE. <laughs> um, Brad, we'll have I'd, you back for a better movie. I, I thought we did have Probably. him for a good movie, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's great. It, it was great being here. Thank you for uh, the compliments. Um, we have no idea what we're doing, me and my son. We're just getting on the microphone and we're talking and we're hoping that what we say makes sense. We're hoping that uh, our accents don't get in the way of anybody having a great time <laughs> we're, uh, it's we, fun we just, you guys even do those little commercials um those fake commercials which make me laugh they're it's right it's right a, it's a fun uh, podcast right right um he wants no parts of that so i do that <laughs> <laughs> i do that myself um so yeah that that came along because uh i didn't have sponsors but i figured i should practice for sponsors in, in case uh, some come around. So that that's where, and then I was also kind of inspired by Saturday Night Live. Uh, they have their faux commercials. Yes. And so I'm just looking at anything in geekdom where I can, uh, where I can make into some sort of advertisement. So one of my favorite is the advertisement I did for Latveria, only because it was a lightning strike. I was like, yeah, a travel ad for Latveria. That's, that's brilliant. I'd go. I heard that. <laughs> so what you're saying is, is you're willing to sell out as soon as any sponsor comes your way, is what you're saying. I mean, as somebody uh, <laughs> wants to advertise like uh, shaving their genitalia, I'll do that ad. Yeah. Landscape, yeah, let's landscape. <laughs> there's actually a couple of them. Apparently, there's yeah. some, something called Smooth My Balls. Yeah. Apparently, oh, that's a thing. And I'm like, well, I, I didn't know there was competition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning so much today. We're holding out for Swedish fish. Um, we're we don't just advertise for anybody, but you know, if Swedish fish comes along, and hey, do a commercial for us. It'd be like all day long. You just have to kind of pay us in fish, not fish, right. fish, but like Swedish fish. Right, right, right. Brad, so, how do you, uh, people get a hold of us? Yeah, that's uh, not a bomb pod at gmail.com. They can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, people have, and we appreciate it. Uh, for next week, Troy. It's our last month of, is it our last? Yes. Last um, pick for our um, animated science yeah. fiction. And it's my pick. Yep. I'm going with 2002's uh, Walt Disney film. At the time of its creation, it was the most expensive 
hand-drawn animated film of all time. That is Treasure Planet. Wow. Based on the book Treasure Island. Never seen it. I'm excited about this. It's one of the few yeah. Disney films I haven't seen. I, I will watch it in in uh was it I will sympathy watch with you. I will do that. Awesome. Yeah, send in send in your, your <laughs> thoughts on it. We'd love to hear about it. But yeah, we'll do that. And then um Brad, you want to talk about what we're doing as sort of a, a side thing with our good friend yeah. Sammy. We just we re- recorded and released the first of, I forgot how many episodes are going to be. 13 epi- there will be 13 episodes of Cowboy Bebop. We are going through each week, watching two episodes of Cowboy Bebop and discussing our thoughts on those. Um, that is not a bomb watches Cowboy Bebop. So yeah, um, release those on Saturdays. So please enjoy. If you have any feedback on that, let us know. Awesome. I'm excited to uh, jump into three and four. Yes, that is awesome. That's a coincidence because my son, just bought the the series and uh, he's told me to watch them. It's like a commandment. So I was like, well, I guess I got to watch these now. You, you do. have to watch them now. Yeah. We, watch them along with us. I've never seen them before. Brad kind of convinced me to it. And I got to say the, uh, you can hear our thoughts on episode one and two and it got me hooked. I, I'm usually, uh-huh. I don't bail out of films, but TV series, if, if first couple episodes, if I'm not into it, I'm not finishing it, but I'm, I'm hooked on these, man. It, it was good. Spoiler warning on those as well. Yeah, so somebody just assumes like everybody's seen it, and well, you're watching, you're listening to a podcast where they break down the episodes. I would think that we can do it without telling all the cool stuff about it because that was a big surprise moment, and you're like, oh yeah, this happened. Right? Isn't this like a ten year old uh, ninety eight? It came out in ninety eight. 1998. Yeah. Not only that, but you you have the name of the show in your episode, so. People Thank should you. know. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you, sir. See, those are my <laughs> I never do a spoiler warning. It's like when you listen to my show, you you know what you came into this bar for. We serve drinks here. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to put it. All right. You win on that one. Um, well, hey, again, thank you for, for joining and everybody else. I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon or evening. I just hope you're having an awesome day and come back next week. We're going to talk about a Disney film that bombed in the theater, Treasure Planet. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you then. Don't lose your head.